Welcome to Why Make, where we talk with makers from different disciplines about what inspires them to make, with your hosts, Rob Helmkamp and Eric Wolken. On this episode of Why Make, we have the Hickory, North Carolina-based sculptor, Joel Yerudi. Hopefully I said that correctly. <laughs> he's, uh, a, he's an artist that uh, he creates abstract figurative sculpture. Yes, and uh, I first saw Joel's work at a gallery in Charlotte, North Carolina that unfortunately doesn't exist anymore called Gallery WDO. I was doing a, a little group show in there, and I saw Joel's wonderful little figurative sculptures, these figured these figures sitting on chairs, I think they were like, like 15, 16 inches tall, and they were just these wonderful, yeah. luscious sculptures. Really beautiful work. And I ran into Joel's work at Tim Barnwell's photo studio in, in Asheville, North Carolina, and working on. Yeah, and I'm actually curious to talk with uh, Joel, because I think he's a, he's a kindred spirit in the sense that we both found the human figure as a wonderful jumping-off point for our work. So... Uh, here we go, our conversation with Joel Urity. Customarily, we like to start these with the, our, uh, our golden question, which is, when's your first memory of actually making something? When, do you, when yeah. do you think you first actually made something? Oh. Um, I guess I was, you know, I always drew, but I don't really consider that making so much. Uh, uh, but I, I debate that issue, but yeah, okay. go ahead. Well, I drew as a kid, but... Uh, like actually making an object, I think that was probably in college where I just kind of made something out of some four by fours and I, it was a figurative lamp which I gave to a girlfriend. And I, I remember that vividly. I can see it in my head too. So it's long gone. But. Oh yeah, so it's a <laughs> girlfriend. <laughs> right. Hopefully it didn't burn down her house. <laughs> UL lighting approved. <laughs> yes. So that I guess that would be my first memory, yeah. And so you, but you weren't a tinkerer as a kid, or you weren't a? I'm just curious. Oh, I yeah, I you know, I tinkered with uh, like motors. My dad it was a gardener, so fixing lawnmowers, right. stuff like that. Oh, cool. um, but I don't I don't have any memories of like building anything with hammers or anything like that. You know, a lot of digging tunnels and holes and stuff that's creative stuff yeah it is very creative sure so you grew up in the bay area did you grow up actually in san francisco or in the greater bay area uh in san francisco yeah in the sunset district and it's interesting because i was born and raised um in the sunset and uh, my parents still live in the same house i just was there (laughs) visited and it's creepy you know going back to the same house you grew up in yeah wow You, you were born in 1968 68 okay so, and um, yeah. your parents were f- from from Spain? Uh, from, from France. From France, okay. Um, yeah, they're from the Basque country, mm-hmm. and the Basque country is, uh, part of it is, is in France, and part of it is in Spain, mm-hmm. um, but they all basically share the um, same culture. Right. Yeah. Do you speak it? You... I know words. Right. Diarciste, gajna, anua, um, but I don't speak it. My parents speak it fluently. Um, I, they, they, uh, basically raised me to speak French instead of Basque because Basque is, or at least back then was a dead language. Now I think it has more of a resurgence. Mm -hmm. Um, so. And I've heard it's a pretty complicated language too. It is. They don't know where it came from. So it's a big kind of mystery. 
that's that's kind of it's funny because my son who's 10 years old felix he's actually in san francisco now at uh udaleku bass camp so where he's learning uh how to play the bass flute the shistu uh, some Basque dances and the handball game, pilota. Wow, that's a oh. fun summer so, camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I grew up doing that stuff, and so it was kind of nice to have the opportunity to send him there. Yeah. And did your parents have a background in the arts? Do you, did Is there other siblings that are artists? Is there other? Mm, just... Yeah. My mother painted. When I grew up, she was always painting. She you saw her doing that all the time? Oil painting. And I, yeah, and I would oil paint with her, too. Or attempt to, I guess. Um, no, that my mom. Oh, I, I my mother's uncle was supposedly a uh, a carver, so he did a lot of mantles and stuff in the Basque country, which he would hand carve. And oh wow! Beds and stuff like that. So he did that back in France. He did that. I've never, you know, you never seen. Him I've never him. seen him. I've seen his work, you know, mm-hmm. when I would go visit. Right, that's yeah. cool. But. Uh, and you also, if you were actually in San Francisco in the late 60s, growing, coming of age in the 70s, that was a pretty turbulent place. I mean, that was the, the heart of the almost revolution. <laughs> I didn't really see it much in the, in the Sunset District. Well, in the 60s, you know, I was two years old. Yeah, right. The 70s, you know, I had fun in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, my, you know, after high school, you know, my 20s, uh, I really got to enjoy, you know, uh, the fruits of what the city has to offer. Being in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. just cool. there were so many clubs, bars, and just ripping around town, and I had fun. Yeah. Cool. But so, I had to leave. <laughs> <laughs> you had too much fun. <laughs> so we'll get to the leaving part later, but... So you went to an, an, an industrial tech school? Well, I went in San Francisco. I went to San Francisco State University. Okay. And um, my major was, um, I, I got a BSIT, which is a Bachelor in Science in Industrial Technology. Mm-hmm. And basically, that's just product design. When I went to San Francisco State, I guess I met with um, a guidance counselor. And they kind of ask you questions. What do you like to do? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, my only skills were kind of drawing. Um, but I, I didn't really, you know, want to be an artist because that's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so they said, well, you could, maybe architecture or, or maybe some graphic design or product design. And the, I, when they explained the whole product design thing, that kind of appealed to me because uh, I can... I can draw, I can design things, uh, make models, and and so I went that path. Mm-hmm. So I just step back. So I'm just curious. You made that statement. Well, I didn't want to be an artist because that's not a good thing. Well, what, I, what's they, the what's I, the origins of that? I mean, no, I'm yeah. just curious because I mean, a lot of people whose parents are immigrants right. don't really conceive of art as legitimate, as and, opposed to engineering or, or doctor. That's or, exactly yeah. it. That's my, exactly. My parents, you know, basically, you know, they want me to make a living, and the arts is not a way to make a living. And so I, I basically was brought up that way. You know, you have to work hard and, um, and yeah, you, you know. Make you can do that <laughs> stuff. Obviously, since your mother painted, you can do that stuff in your free time. Exactly. But you don't make a side. living it's doing it. It's a good it. hobby. 
It's a great hobby. Yeah. <laughs> but to make a but living, no. Don't think about that for real. <laughs> right. But there's some truth to that. <laughs> there it's, is. It's not easy. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we're, we're paupers less than princes, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a whole notion of, well, and there's a whole notion of, you know, don't do what you love for a living because you'll be sadly disappointed. Yes, yes. But the thing is, is that uh, you might not, you know, some people will say you might not get rich, but, you know, rich is not necessarily a monetary yeah. thing. Yes. Well, I feel very rich. It's not always green. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm a very wealthy man. Yeah. I no, I mean, certainly. I, mean, I agree. We both are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 all three of us, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, We're I, lucky. I, I mean, oof. you can't, you can't measure the, <laughs> you can't measure the wealth of going into your own studio every day and just doing whatever happens to be in your brain that morning. Right. And, yeah. and, whether it's financially successful or not, I mean, uh, it's, that's, yeah. it's mind-blowing. Yeah, and having, you know, and also the idea of having a boss oh, telling yeah. you what time you need to be here, what you need to do. Uh, oh, you're anti-boss too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't want to say I'm anti-people. Right. But yeah, I'm, oh, neither am I. I'm pro-solitude. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I think a large part of this is feeling very comfortable being on your own yeah. for large periods of time. I mean, um, I mean, we've talked about this in, in other podcasts, but I think a large part of the role I think we perceive of this podcast is creating some community amongst a bunch of people that really would rather spend time by themselves that's true you yeah. know i mean yeah. other than it's like getting hermits together every now yeah and get then. <laughs> well yeah, getting hermits together and whatever this is radio podcast right internet land and going you know ex and exchanging ideas because otherwise you know fuck you i want to be on my own right, right by right, myself right. <laughs> and i i realized you know when i used to do a craft shows mm -hmm. um it was just that you know, all these people that spend most of their time alone in their studios come for three days and finally there's a community and then you get to kind of blow it all up, have a great time. And, and then you get to go home and be by yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, <clears throat> we were talking briefly before uh, we started officially rolling about, you know, life in co-op shops and life in school shops. And, oh, yeah. And yeah, that was the hard part for me because... I yeah, felt like it was too, a, really. I was in a co-op shop with eight to ten other people, and I felt like it was in a fishbowl. I felt yeah. like every time I was making something, somebody was watching, or I was sure. like, you know. There's and, so many dynamics, yeah. too, you know. There's... Uh, Got to not step on this and not step on that. And oh, goodness gracious, yeah. Rules. Yeah. A lot of rules, and, you know. Or there's no rules, and they're all unwritten, and you never know what landmine you're going to step on. Yeah, that's, yeah. Outside uh, of school, that's the problem. Yeah, no. So, but so anyway, so you were studying product design, for lack of better words. Yeah, product design. Um, and then I graduated and, and I kind of uh, applied at different uh, places in the Bay, Bay Area for a job. Um, and I don't remember if I, I actually got a job or not. But I do remember one of the places was, you know, designing like egg holders, you know, cartons for eggs huh. and stuff. Oh. And I thought, is this what I really want to do? And I said, no. Are there new frontiers in designing <laughs> egg cartons? I'm, I'm just curious. I don't know. Apparently there were. <laughs> um, well, yes, because they went from, I guess, cardboard paper to plastic at one point. Well, and that's now true. you've got the trifold plastic ones, the see throughs. 
Oh. Yeah, the foam. And you missed, all sorts of you missed being on the crest of that wave? <laughs> I did. Yeah. I blew oh. it. <laughs> um, but so I, I decided uh, to, you know, maybe do some more studying because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to so do. So was there a, a lot of making involved in that program? There was. There was. There was. Um, I, took, um, I took a lot of art classes on the side, some goofy ones, some performance art. I took some clay. Uh, I took a woodworking elective. That was my first true introduction to woodworking. Um, and but the the actual program itself, I had to learn how to uh, deal with different materials, like mm-hmm. plastic, like wood, like making models and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, a, a little bit of metal as well. Uh, but when I took that wood elective, I kind of fell in love with the material, and um, I think I ended up buying like a little teeny. Uh, table saw one of those um, you know contractor saws yeah, right. yeah had it in below my apartment and just built stuff with a roommate of mine or a friend of mine um, and then I decided you know I, I want to get into this more learn how to you know work with wood went from backyard woodworking to yeah take it to the next level yeah and that's that's when I found the Bellinas Crafts Guild were offering apprenticeship in woodworking and they had different um so you were able i guess there were certain craftsmen out there in the bay area that were uh part of the program they would accept apprentices Mm -hmm. and so in there was the list was not long it might have been like three or four people yeah and i ended up picking this one person i didn't know anything about any of these people really they showed a sample of the work, and I guess there might have been a blurb. And so I apprenticed uh, for about, I guess it was a year, a year or a year and a half. And there I learned how to, you know, work with wood and the various machines. I got a more in-depth uh, education. Was it sort of a classical apprenticeship in that you did their work for them? Or you, <clears throat> it was more yeah. of a, more of a, you know, in the sense that they showed you techniques and just let you do your own thing. It was, um, I guess it was a mix of both. Uh, starting off, um, he, he would show you, um, you know, how to sharpen chisels. And so you'd spend the day sharpening chisels. And then, you know, how to, so it, there, it would be an education. And then once you actually learned um, how to use the machines and you were semi-proficient, then you'd be able to aid them in their projects. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember, <clears throat> you know, I I think in like the first uh, fine woodworking design book, there's a great picture of the Bellinas Crafts Guild of like all these old hippies hanging out in front of this, <laughs> this huge, I think it was like yeah. this huge... You know, macrame wall. And it <laughs> seemed like so, it seemed like so dated, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was uh, yeah. I think well, that whole Bay Area kind and, of West and, Coast craftsman, and, very crunchy. And you're right. <laughs> and Art Carpenter was still then, and still he was probably alive back then. Yeah, he was alive. He, I think, uh, <clears throat> he, he is like this. He had a compound of sorts. I think some he built huts or whatever. Oh, wow. <laughs> I never visited. Um, but yeah, he Tales. was, he was a famous woodworker then. Yeah. Who was the, the maker that you apprenticed under? Uh, David Marks was his name. Okay. Yeah. So cool. And so for about a year and I mean, it sounds like you learned a lot real quick. 
Uh, yeah, it was pretty intense. It was intense. Um, I learned, I did learn a lot, but you know, I'm, I'm, that didn't really stop. I'm still learning today. Yeah. Oh yeah. Know, every day. Yeah. Um, I learned last week. <laughs> I mean, that happens all the time. <laughs> um, so yeah, did the apprenticeship thing. Felt very confident. Maybe yeah, too so overconfident. Bolstered right. you up yeah. to to get going. And then I uh, found a uh, co-op in Oakland where I could kind of rent space and continue oh, cool. making furniture. And I did that for I don't know, I guess a year or a year and a half mm-hmm. as well. So I was living in San Francisco, commuting to Oakland, and then working at night in San. I had a a day job or night job in San Francisco as well. So right, and your your main inspiration at that point was really furniture. Yeah, it was all furniture. And 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 who were who were your who were your guiding lights in that furniture world? I mean, what what were you thinking in terms of design? Yeah. What were you thinking in terms of because at that point, I, I mean, I remember that whole word "artichure" started to come out, where people were really starting to begin to experiment yeah. with sculptural furniture. Sure, especially in the whole California scene. Yeah, that's that's what uh, intrigued me the most was the the art furniture, um, and of course, Wendell Castle was the godfather of you know art furniture, cr- making these beautiful pieces of furniture that were also sculpture really pushing the boundary of, you know, this is no longer a shaker table, top, four legs. It, it was more of an art piece. And that's what I found very appealing. Yeah. So he was definitely one of, you know, one of the people that kind of influenced me in the path of making. So Right. And then, so you went on, you actually went on to grad school there. I, I did. After, you know, At, spending uh, a year uh, in Oakland, I went to grad school in uh, Rochester at RIT. Right, the actually, actually yeah, when, Wendell Castle had long left RIT at that point, but he was still in Scottsville, though, right? He was still, oh, yeah. still very close by. He was <laughs> close by, and he was actually an artist in residence there, oh, him cool. and Albert Paley. So, oh, wow. He would, oh, wow, what a good Very interesting. He would come occasionally to uh, critiques, you know, for our final projects mm-hmm. and stuff. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so <laughs> that's... It, was, it was good. And we had the opportunity to go to his stu- studio and visit uh, his studio, see what he was working on, mm-hmm. and ask him questions. So he was accessible, which was fantastic. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Oh, that's... amazing. So who was the lead instructor at RIT at that point? Was, it Doug, was Doug Sigler still there? Yeah, it was three guys. Doug Sigler, Bill Kaiser, right. and Rich Tannen. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were the, the three guys. And it was... It was a, a cool experience because they had very different perspectives and different personalities. Um, yeah, so I'm not familiar with Rich Tannen. Um, Bill Kaiser did a lot of ecclesiastic work and yes. very, very clean cut, very, yeah. very minimalistic stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And Doug Sigler is just wild. Yeah, <laughs> Doug Sigler. Oh, right. He wa- was, actually. I That's right. Yeah, he just he passed away this year, didn't he? passed away last year. Yeah, yeah last year, right. Yeah. Last year. Yeah. So. Obviously up at Penland, Penland for many for years. Long time. Right, yeah. Um, so, all yeah, it was nice to have the three of them. The th- three different takes on uh, making work. Right. You know, having the tight, the loose, the and I would say cerebral as well. 
Um, so, so what, did, what did you start to gravitate towards? I mean, any any one of them or kind of mixing stuff up? Oh, no, I, mean, I would huh. I would mix them up. Cool. I would definitely kind of uh, ask questions. Uh, if it was a technical question, maybe I would ask, you know, Bill Kaiser or a conceptual question. I would ask uh, Rich Tannen if it was a question about, um, you know, who knows what. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Ask, ask> Doug. <laughs> Doug. <laughs> right. That's great. Where should I go drinking tonight? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fun. So you were there for your master's, so for over two years. Yeah, I was there for two years. Okay. Yeah. It was a great experience. I met uh, lifelong friends there at the program, mm-hmm. um, which I, you know, keep in to- contact with, you know, on a regular basis. Right. And And what did you... What did you leave RIT thinking you were going to do? Um, it's still um, furniture. Uh, you know, my hope was to make art furniture, just kind of mm-hmm. one-of-a-kind pieces. Right when I was at RIT, um, there was, I guess it was the, um, it was mid-90s, so there were the the big galleries, Peter Joseph in New York, yeah, and there was uh, Franklin Parish. You had you had these big galleries that were actually showing art furniture, right. and it was high end. Yes. and so my goal was to this is what I want to do. I want to be showing with these people, with the Wendy Marumas and Randy Scholl and Tom Hucker. Tom Hucker. Hucker. Oh my gosh. I saw one show, Peter Joseph, that it was Tom Hucker, and he did, it was like mosaic stuff, and that thing blew me away. (laughs) His work was phenomenal. Um, So I would go to these shows in the city and just get all pumped up and go back to school, and um, yeah, it it really got my blood flowing. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that was really the, that was like the the, the apex of the, the whole yeah, art furniture movement. movement. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause <laughs> the beginning and end or yeah, you, the like, apex. Cause it, <laughs> there was a slow decline after that. Right. right. Cause I remember Peter Joseph's closed. Cause I took a class from Tom Hucker and oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. Cool. I took a class from Tom Hucker. That was actually the first time I went to Anderson ranch. I got a scholarship. I want to say in 95, 96 from Tom Hucker. Yeah. And that was really when Peter Josephs was like at its apex and Tom Hucker was just doing wild shit. I mean, he had, he had done that, that classic, he had done that classic bench piece oh my and gosh, he had yeah. that, he had that, he had that strong sort of Asian Japanese training, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he, the dude was wild. He was hysterical. But he came. He came to class every day dressed in a three-piece oh, suit. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! <laughs> I've heard about that. And it was very yes. And I remember I was in that class with. That was when I met uh, Dean Pulver. Uh, very prim and proper. <laughs> yeah, Dean Pulver and Dean Pulver absolutely insisted we go whitewater rafting, and uh, so we took Tom Hucker, a total city boy, out on the what was it, the Colorado or the San Juan. And Tom Hucker went rafting in a three-piece suit <laughs> with his with his uh, with his leather shoes and a uh, you know he, oh he, wow the, 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 did he I, wear a life jacket he wore a life he wore a life jacket <laughs> okay and, I can see it in my head now. and he got a, he got one of those yellow slickers you know one of those yellow raincoats and the most important thing was is that he had his cigarettes in like 
10 different Ziploc baggies <laughs> because he didn't care how wet he got, whether his shoes got destroyed, whether his yeah. suit got destroyed. Had to have as, a long, as long as he had. <laughs> oh, uh, my goodness. As long as he had. But, That's funny. N- but it was it was a mind-opening look into that whole Peter Joseph thing because I remember when at the beginning of the class, Tom took us through – you know, all the work he'd done at Peter Joseph's. And mm. it was like the same experience. It's like, yeah. so, wow, you can do this stuff? You can right. actually... It's mind-blowing. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, and then, of course, that that world seemed to disappear. Yep. So yeah. as it started crashing, where was your head? Like, I was still... uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh, or just into it? And... Still into it, full yeah. force, St- full force. Right, because there was three galleries. There was like three places. Oh, there's Printem and Eames out on yeah, Long Island, Hamptons, yeah. Franklin Parish, and Peter or Franklin, Joseph. whatever yeah, it was yeah, called. Yeah, Franklin Parish, Peter Joseph. There was also a place in in Boston, I think. That's right. Um, I don't remember the names. And there was like one or two places in D.C. Yeah, right. There weren't many. Yeah, there weren't many, but there were also, you know, I guess there were. D- uh, the different tier galleries that were showing uh, some art furniture, they weren't at that high level. And that's where I started to kind of show kind of at the right. lower tier. And I had, you know, some success. I would sell some work. Right now, I I, I don't see any of them anymore. Well, yeah, they're not. I think. <laughs> they're not here anymore. Yeah. Right. All, you know. Very f- well, few and far between. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. So I got into, oh, God, I forget. I got into the gallery in Potomac, Maryland. That was actually a big one. I got into Lewis Wexler in Philadelphia. Yeah. And I thought, and, oh. And Wexler's I'm, still going. Wexler's still but going, but he's mainly selling that, the secondary market stuff now. He's, yeah. mainly, he's mainly selling old Wendell Castle pieces. Right, and it's not heavy into furniture. He, no. It's, yeah, it's very broadened. much into yeah. uh the fine arts, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and Lewis Wexler was a wonderful person, but I remember in the early days, um, Lewis basically said, you know, if you guys want to get into the whole online gallery scene, I'm not take, I'm not going there with you. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, it was that, that that experience with me. I'm obviously not nearly as successful, but I thought, wow, I'm in a couple of big name galleries. Off we go, and then you'd sell one piece every three years, right? And uh, it, it was, was not a, consistent. It no, was not consistent, not, and not enough. It was, uh, it was, you know, what's the best? It was illusory to think that you had you had climbed the mountain, peeked over to the other side, and went, yeah, the grass isn't greener over there. <laughs> it's still brown. It's <laughs> still brown. I guess I have to go back to my shop and make some cabinets or figure out a way to pay the rent. Yeah, I. I ended up doing, uh, I think, uh, starting uh, craft shows at that point where I could show some furniture and then I had some lower end items. I don't want to say like production items, but like uh, almost accessories or something like that. Yeah, I tried that. I tried everything, you know, like whatever. Um, Yeah. Just to kind of move work and bring money in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I for a while there, I guess it was the, the late 90s. Late 90s, early 2000s, I was kind of doing that whole craft show circuit thing, doing Baltimore and Philadelphia, ACC shows. Yeah, the ACCs, Philadelphia, uh, Evanston, whatever. Uh, Yeah, there were a few in D.C. as well. Betsy Kuby's shows, she was a show promoter, um, and uh, did well. 
I was, you know, we were all doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, doing furniture. You're doing functional items. I was, yeah, I was doing functional items <clears throat> and smaller items too, like mirrors, shelves, clocks, whatever. And I, well, at one point, I yeah, I kind of started introducing sculpture into it as well, and um, and it eventually kind of ended up taking over. Right. Yeah. So I'm just curious. You know, sort of the the focus of this podcast is really to talk about inspiration and ideas. So, yeah. so what so what were the early inspirations behind the furniture work going into the the sculpture work? Were you still thinking of? Were you still strongly influenced by Castle and and all these other makers, or were you drawing inspiration from something else? Um, I think uh, I I veered away from being inspired by just you know one person. I was trying to find my own voice. And so I did a lot of experimentation, just trying different techniques, um, you, playing with paint and color and mm-hmm. surface treatment. And uh, it was all over the place. Uh, if you looked at my furniture, I, I don't think it's very, it was very cohesive uh, because I was exploring different ideas. Um, and some of them stuck and some of them didn't. And when it did stick, I would kind of, you know, move uh, my creative process towards what worked and what what didn't. I would leave behind. Um, but I, I I made some pieces that were really um, looking back on it now. It's like, good God, that's hideous. <laughs> you know, but let's forget about that one. At the, you know, three. at the time it seemed like a good idea. You know, uh, on a well, on a piece course. of paper, the sketch. Like, oh man, this is this is gonna be cool. Um, yeah, I mean, that's another interesting part of the process I find, sort of that commitment you make from a sketch to actually making something. is like you have to have some belief that exactly yeah. that's that's going to look really cool when it's five feet long and, yeah. right. and yeah. three feet tall. And then yeah. it's actually standing up and you're like, uh-oh. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but to actually get it, you know, put stuff through the saw and everything, you got to have, you know, enough of a belief in it to... Absolutely, yeah. And that's the thing. It's having confidence in yourself and thinking, you know, I think this is going to be worthwhile, you know, worth my time, worth the material. Uh, this could be something. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, of course, but what's the, I mean, back in the, so in the furniture days, I, I put that value on whether I could sell it or not. Right. I mean, and then I sort of learned later on that the goal was to knock my own socks off. And if I didn't sell it, well, what else well, was new? Well, and we're, we're our own worst critics, too. I mean, we've admitted yeah. that. It's like, I'm, yeah. ha- I'm hard on myself. I oh, know yeah. you probably oh, absolutely. are very tough yeah. on yourself as well as Eric. And yeah. yeah, there are certain pieces I've made that I've, I've never shown. I, I can't bring it anywhere. I can't bring it to a gallery. I can't bring it to a show. It's like, ah, this one just didn't work out. And sometimes it'll sit in the studio, and I'll just... I'll go back to it and try something else, you know, just maybe I'll burn it or I'll, I'll chop it up and kind of breathe new life into it. And sometimes it works. Oh, that's, that's yeah. interesting. So you're willing to, you're willing to revisit a piece. Cause I, I like, I, I have a wood stove. That's cool. Your eyes just <laughs> got real big. That was great. Yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I was going to say, I was going to say, I love it. I have a wood stove and part of the, some of the, part of the amazing catharsis is, this doesn't fucking work at all. <laughs> to the bandsaw and into the wood stove. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, 
I have a hard time uh, doing that. Um, I did throw, I did a big cleanup at the shop a few months ago, and there were pieces that I found from years past that I threw in the dumpster. Um, and then pulled out of the dumpster? No, a vagrant did. I saw these two <laughs> kind of meth heads walking away with one of my sculptures, and I yelled at him. Leave my dumpster alone, you know? I didn't want them to That's have it. That's a t-shirt. <laughs> Joel Yerudy, leave my dumpster alone. <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. My mom gets rid of her art paintings that she's had forever. She'll set them by the roadside. I just kind of oh. keep an eye out the window and see where they go. Oh, somebody okay. will pick them up, taking a walk around the neighborhood. Yeah. I would have actually been thrilled if somebody <laughs> pulled from these out of the <laughs> I would have said, wear it well or whatever, you know? <laughs> Put yeah, it, I, I yeah put know. it in your cardboard like, box. Use I, just, a, use I a don't coaster. want it to be seen anymore, you know? It's use like, a coaster, it'll last longer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've had things pop up on eBay that... Oh, wow. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. And... Oops, that's the phone. Sorry. Is that really a phone? You have a phone phone? I've got a phone. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. A phone. That's, a, that's, what a, that's With a cord. With Joel a, Rudy oh, has oh, a, a real With a really line. long cord, though. It's a really long cord, yeah. <laughs> I can only go that area of the shop and talk. Oh. <laughs> I have, and the other phone over there has a cord, too, so I've got two cords. You've got two phone, two corded phones. Yeah. Wow. No cordless phones here. <laughs> I have a cell phone. <laughs> How long did it take for you to get that thing? <laughs> uh, a while. Yeah. 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 Well, I was visiting I was visiting Rob in South Carolina. I guess this is about this is about seven, eight months ago, and as we were down by the water and there was a, actually a payphone. I hadn't seen a payphone in forever. Not so that I, it worked or anything, I'm sure, but <laughs> I, I didn't know. try it. Yeah. I could have thrown a quarter in it. Oh probably it was like <laughs> Ten dollars, or yeah, put your put your. No, it was it was a it was a court it was a it was a you know a quarter driven payphone. I wow. was like, holy shit! I had no idea these things existed anymore. Yeah, I would have taken it. <laughs> it was put it was pretty. It was pretty. <laughs> Let's get a grinder. On it that was. Thing uh, it was it was pretty substantially yeah. uh, bolted to the okay, ground. Gotcha. So, uh, right. um, <laughs> we'll let you know when we find one. We could... <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, let me know. <laughs> We can we can put it next to your 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 time clock. Yeah, we'll put it on the side. It, actually, that would be <laughs> that would be good. I would love to have a phone booth here. Well, and then hook it up uh, so you can actually use it. And yeah, go it'd on. be the clean room too, no dust. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. No, no, dust gets in everything. That's true. Oh, so maybe who knows? Maybe that's a. I mean, have you ever thought of doing performance art? Good God, no. <laughs> no. Make your own phone booth. Yeah, no, I'm good. You're good. <laughs> Actually, I don't need the more Trump stuff in the shop anyway. Right. Yeah, less is more, you know. Okay, so getting back to it, yeah. now that we've uh, digressed oh, yeah. with the... The phone talk? The, the wonderful phone talk. So you're doing trade shows. Um, yeah. Your sculptural stuff is starting to creep into your work. Yeah. Although it was always there. It, it was always there, but the, there was a point where I would actually have non-functional things. Right, so yeah. Just and, pure sculptures. And I think Rob and I both sort of, you know, you're, you're sort of uh, cocking analog. Your VU, me, your, your little meter, your internal meter that uh, goes from functional meter. to yeah. non-functional to sort of trying to hit, hit that median point. And, and really, I always enjoyed playing around with that idea. It was like, maybe it looks like it works, but... It don't do shit. 
I mean, you know, here's a That's table that you're really not flat enough to put anything on. Right, right, right. I've done, a f- I've made a few tables. I remember where they, I remember one was a little end table called the drunken table, and the top was just completely slanted, and the legs are all cockeyed. They were, I mean, yeah, that there's like a crossover where I was making furniture that was sculpture, and the furniture was not functional. Right. At that point, it's like, what are you doing, you know? Exactly. I think that's it. Just make sculpture. That's it. That's, so that's, I mean, that's, that, that's yeah, the transition point. That was a transition point it. for me. I think I'm still messing with it, I'm Rob. still messing with it. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, well, you're, I'm the youngest one here, and the I still haven't hit that yet. Well, I'm it's, working on it. It's it's that point, you know. Is I think the I think the sort of the little the the old analog meter thing is like is yep, the perfect it's, analogy. It's, you just sort of you right keep on pressing that. You keep on wanting to peek out and yeah. and go because I did the same thing. I was like, okay, I'm making utterly useless objects. Why not really just commit to it? Right. Yeah. Why does it have to have furniture? Why does it have to have like the the subject matter be a piece of furniture. Yeah, that, I, I that, did that for a long time. Well, because we're all trained as furniture makers. Right. And, and it's, it's hard like, to let go. Break the, <laughs> cut that um, umbilical cord. Exactly. Because, yeah. I mean, I think it would be far different if, you know, say you'd gone to sculpture school right. and you were dabbling in furniture and you really loved furniture, yet you were going back. No, I mean, when, you, when you're trained as in classic, well, classically, I don't even know what that means. When you're trained to make things that function, yeah. breaking out of that mold is, a hard. is yeah. a hard transition. It is. Yeah. Especially when you admit, yeah, I don't have the slightest fucking idea what I'm doing. I'm just making something I think looks good. I know, I know, yeah. Or feels good, you know? Right, like, but um, yeah, I guess at a certain point, I just embraced it, accepted it. It's like, you know what? That's it. Yeah, I'm, being... I'm not a furniture maker anymore. He's dead. <laughs> well, you just said you made a piece of furniture the other day and enjoyed it. It was a base I, for a sculpture. It, I well, yeah, it was to display sculpture at a show. I yeah. I did enjoy it, but yeah. I'm not going to make a living. I'm not yeah. going to yeah. make so that... a piece of furniture to sell. I did it for you know my own a, a need. So that guy's gone. Actually, it's, yeah, it's. Yeah. He's just in the other room with the telephone. No, I put it in the house because it was a nice piece of furniture. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I've, I've committed uh, to just making sculpture now. It's been at least 12 years, at least no longer, maybe 15. Wow. Yeah, I, where I didn't make any furniture at all. Um, so talk about getting into those first pieces of pure sculpture that you started making 15 years ago and how that has evolved well the first ones were all figurative based mm-hmm. um and because it, of my sketchbook i you know i would do a lot of doodling and it usually was you know people or you know some sort of figure um so my first sculptures were all kind of uh involved the human figure which i would abstract and uh and I did that for many, many years, um, where it was all the subject matter was all uh, based on the human figure. And then I went and visited some animals, birds, mm-hmm. fish. Did a goat once, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just just one goat. Just one goat. Okay, that was enough, huh? <laughs> just one goat. <laughs> um, but I I've been playing around with abstract work now. Uh, more and more so and uh, that's been a lot of fun Um, yeah I I would say right now I'm doing more abstract than I am figurative there was also a transition where my figurative work was more abstracted 
where I would start off with, you can get an idea of my, maybe here's the head, that might have been an arm, but it was very kind of fluid, mm-hmm. um, and it's more about the uh, the form and the... Like gesture? Yeah, the gestures and stuff like that. Um, and um, I don't know, it's, it's a constant evolution, you know? It's just, mm-hmm. I get into one thing and I kind of tap into that and and just keep uh i don't want to say milking it but yeah you know i i I try and uh, explore that vein and then once i either get tired of it or i get a new idea then i'll just i have no problem just veering off and saying i'm gonna try this yeah yeah and really go uh like do a 180 on uh things seems like a lot of your figurative sculpture like a lot of them seem like kind of a different take on a, on a line that's obviously similar because it's all, you know, kind of gestural, but like one will be skinnier at the bottom and bloom up or the whole thing will be really, really big and wide. But yeah, um, it seems like they're all, you know, they are different. It, every one seems yeah. different from the other one. Well, my, I did a, a lot of these tall, slender figurative forms mm-hmm. and those were all, uh, based on a line, I would literally take a board and I'd had a piece of chalk in my hand mm-hmm. and I would just kind of give it a whoosh, kind of like an S shape yeah. and start from there. So once I have this kind of fluid line, that would that would be uh, the starting point. Then I would kind of play around at a head here, maybe a hip here, and the, it was literally that, just a chalk line. So, yeah. so you were just doing a lot of freeform sketching were you ever working with models or was well it? yeah the 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 tall slender ones were kind of a, a freeform uh mm-hmm. sketch off of that chalk line mm-hmm. the more kind of abstract robust ones those required a little more thought i would actually make a little model out of clay or something like that uh those are a little more complicated they're more um uh, there's just a lot going on three-dimensionally, mm-hmm. and I had to kind of figure out how it would uh, gel together, like the front side, left side, if there is a front or a left or a back, right. you know, because mm-hmm. it's three-dimensional. Uh, those I would make a model, and um, when I would, you know, get into the wood, I would reference that model. It would be on my bench as I worked. Right, but it, I wouldn't be married to it. I would. It'd be you know the model is That's it serves well, its purpose. Yeah. It's well, the often point. when you're carving, something happens. Oh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's usually not intended. No, it's it's interesting though, because I sort of work in the same way in that I have to create a model because I mean, a part of it is a fear to go into a four hundred dollar chunk of wood and just go for it. Right. I mean, and I wish I could let go of that fear. But but getting back into the figurative stuff, because I'm really curious, because I think I took almost the identical path, is that I was just making these doodles in my sketchbook, and they seemed figurative. And then once you get into the figure, you realize that abstracted is that it's an endless generator of ideas. Right. I, I mean, everything can be... Everything's a, almost everything's a gesture. Almost every line in the human body is either gestural or is about movement or has some wonderful abstract characteristic. And you can really ride that way for a long ass time. Oh, yeah. It's endless. Yeah. I endless. mean, and that's why I'm sure there, there's this long, long history of people working in the figurative mode. I mean, right. Well, even um, I, I would say some of the 
completely pure abstract sculptures, you can reference uh, the figure, you yeah. know, even if it's like three circles, one on top of the other, you know, that's the head, torso and, you know, body. Yeah. It, I think the human mind automatically wants to kind of relate to certain things. And usually you'll see, you know, in the cloud, you'll see a bunny or, or a mm-hmm. face. And it's the same thing with, with art. I think we, we look for that stuff. Yeah. And actually, interestingly enough, I went to birds right at. I mean, I'm still, I'm still very much in my figurative period. But all of a sudden, I started drawing birds. And maybe this is a congenital yeah. defect or something. This is not goats. I haven't gone to the goats yet. Goats don't really intrigue me. I don't so know. I guess I'm going to start birds next week. Yeah, it's like. Uh, yeah. Well, in college, I saw a lot of vaginas. You know, a lot of painters and stuff. Oh yeah, there's a lot, a lot of vaginas. Of... And yeah, I never went there. <laughs> Yeah. No wooden vaginas. <laughs> no. no, not really your territory. <laughs> no. Um, so, I mean, do you still think you're in the figurative mode, or if, because that's the other thing I'm curious about is because you do something until until the next thing comes along. At least for me, I mean, I don't know. What do you, how do you think about that, Rob? It's like I'm in a mode for a while, twelve to fifteen years, yeah. and then and then the new thing comes along, and yet that transition is always kind of vague and ambiguous mm-hmm. but there's a transition then there's the next thing and then there's the next thing right, right. and and that's sort of to me that's sort of the the shark you got to continue to <laughs> be moving yeah, yeah i mean the, i don't yeah. know whether it's well i'm uh, stuck in a in a certain piece rut right now that i'm well, I'm, I'm, it's, the, n- it's the, not... The, po- the popular armoire that I make all the time. It's, it's, uh, I can't shove that one off. <laughs> well, I mean, that makes money for you. But. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to uh, figurative uh, pieces if I get an order or, you know, a designer says, hey, you know, can you make this for a client, blah, blah, blah. Right now, I'm not there. Um, I'm, I'm on a different path. Yeah. But I, I go back for money. Yeah, <laughs> I do. It's, well, we've got to pay the bills. Right. Yeah. And no. they were very popular, those tall, slender pieces. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing them for years, and it's the, it is endless. Um, color, you know, shape, whatever, size. Um, so, but right now, I'm not exploring that anymore. Right now, my my kick is I've been making these wall assemblages, and that's what I've been kind of focusing all my energy on. I haven't actually made. Um, three-dimensional piece in in a few months now right but there was just looking at your work on your website there was a transition away from the figurative piece to these more constructed pieces yeah from the reductive work you know the carved shaped work to these more additive right it's almost in some ways coming back to furniture making in terms of technique it is it is and that was that was kind of fun to kind of revisit that because i've been you know uh carving for so long um, it was kind of nice to uh, try something else and uh, constructing as opposed to kind of removing. So it's a nice change. It sounds like you're enjoying it a lot. Yeah, well, that's, the, that's the, the beauty of what we do is, you know, when we open the door of the studio, you know, you can start fresh. You know, I don't have to keep making the same things. Yeah. I can <laughs> switch paths very easily. easily. It, we're not like... A, a big company that produces, you know, cogs. Oh, you know, if I want to do this, test out the waters, we're able to do that. And that's that's what I love about it. Right. I mean, do you see those constructed pieces as 
as figuratively inspired, or do you, you see them more as coming from an entirely different place? Uh, I, I think they're coming from an entirely different place. Um, and um, it's, they're, they're fairly new. It was basically an itch that I had to scratch. So right. <laughs> um, I don't know how successful uh, they are. I've sold two of these like tower things that I've made. Um, and I've made a couple more. And yeah, some of them are quite big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they're fun to make. Um, I think they're they're strong pieces. So I don't know. We'll yeah. see. Did you they know? did they just come out of the blue, or or did they? I mean, just, again, I'm just curious. That transition from one style of work to the next it just started. It just showed up in your sketchbook, and you just went with it. It 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 did, and it didn't. I was asked. I'm trying to think now what it was. It was, I think, a um, a designer that, oh yeah, it was an art consultant that wanted me to make sketches for a project. And they said, you know, non-figurative, it has to be this tall, this wide. They're giving me dimensions. So I literally drew sketches of these geometric sculptures. Mm -hmm. And um, I think... Uh, one, one of one of the geometrics was uh, approved, and they also got like some figurative pieces that uh, I made, and that kind of got the ball rolling. It was them asking me to make something that was non-figurative, and so I went to the sketchbook, and then I started sketching out ideas. And once I, that's the interesting thing. Once I get uh, working on something. That's when the synapses kind of go, right. and I get new ideas. Yeah. And it's, that's how it always is for me. It's like when I'm making something, I can see an, the potential of this piece going in a different direction. So what I'll do is finish that piece and then fall, start another piece following that direction. Right. Oh, it's interesting, though. Like, so in this case, the directive, <clears throat> sorry, the directive came from outside of yourself. So interesting. Oh, yeah. that it was like non-figurative. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. And that so that that started a whole nother ball rolling, which maybe not, might not have happened had sure. uh, you not gotten uh, somebody saying, hey, I'm going to pay you to do right. something that is three feet or six feet tall, non-figurative yep. and and X. I mean, um and that also just recently happened with uh, my wall pieces. I got an art, art consultant basically telling me they want these two colors for a, a wall assemblage. I made it, and once you know, once I finished it, you know, it's like uh, there's potential. And so I kind of decided to make a few more spec pieces, and uh, yeah, it just kind of gets the ball rolling. So did the wall assemblage, did the idea for wall assemblages happen before the art consultant talked to you or? Yeah, no, no, wall assemblages, the, they started when <laughs> I did a show um, in New York with a friend of mine and uh, I brought sculpture and he had wall pieces and I didn't sell a damn thing. <laughs> he, he had a great show and all of the, uh, the, the booths around me, there was there was hardly any sculpture. Everything that everything that was selling were wall pieces, and I said to myself, "I could do that. I'm going to go home and make a wall piece." And so I went and made a few wall pieces, brought them to the next show, 
and did well with them. That's great. Damn, so, I'm going to go home and make a wall piece. You should. <laughs> it's You know what? Wall pieces. The, there's a, a, a famous saying, you know, uh, sculpture is the stuff you bump into when you're looking at a painting, you know? Oh. And it's so true. <laughs> It's it's harder to place, I think, a sculpture That's in <laughs> in a home or or a place than it is something that's going to be on a wall. Yeah, so you're making a sculpture that's in the place of a painting. Exa- well, <laughs> yeah. Just about. <laughs> I call them wood assemblages, yeah. you know, because wood is my material of choice, right. and I know how to work with it. Mm. And, you know, I have all these techniques I can kind of play around with, uh, but it's a flat surface, flat panel. You saw, you saw something that kicked off this idea in terms of the assemblage idea? Or, you know, or as often the case is... <laughs> kind of interesting we create all these cool scraps and you right. look at those scraps and you go huh there could be something here don't throw them away don't, don't throw, throw them away. away right yeah um you know honestly i don't know i i don't know if i saw something or if i was just that might have been uh something i was just doing on a uh, sketch pad just right. uh playing around with um ideas of uh, what i what you know what appeals to me in in the um, 2D artwork thing is very kind of minimalist pieces. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought, you know, I'm going to make something that's kind of very minimalist. Um, and I wanted to introduce repetition. So it, I just kind of glued a bunch of pieces of wood together. And it was a very simple piece. Yeah. And that that's what kind of got me going. Your, to- your colors and textures that are in your palette, though, totally come through. So it's... Well, yeah, I like that part of it a lot. Th- that's another interesting thing about uh, I noticed the development in my work. Everything when I start off has to be black. Mm-hmm. You know, even my figures, my f- uh, initial first figures. You know, I would carve them, then I would paint them black. Yeah, so and it's about pure form. It's pure form. Pure form. It's not about wood. It's not wow. about, about color. color. It's about yeah. a line. Exactly, and I did that with <clears throat> uh, my uh, wall pieces too. They were all black at first. Now. I guess after uh, doing enough of them, I'm slowly introducing color to them. But yeah, it, it's weird. When you're pulling the black off of some of them, I saw your your um, your planing. Yeah, you're using a wood plane to to pull to the black off. back off of it, and right? The wood to, back out to introduce color. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So now you know. And the color of the wood, uh, you know, so it is. It's yeah. Now I do. You know, I'll I'll I play with dyes and all sorts of different paints. And you hadn't done that to it. Actually, when I look at your work, I go, "There's a lot of black and white," which is which works a lot, which works well. I mean, yeah. you know, because it's a it's about pure form. Well, but color's hard. It's really hard. It's it's really hard. That's, it's, yeah. it's. I have like red and blue are my go-tos. And I don't <laughs> Me really... too. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, red and blue. I I love. Um, though just now, I I did one piece with a bunch of colors, and I've never done that. Well, no, I. After when I did furniture, my art furniture thing, I started throwing all sorts of different colors in there, um, and that was, I think, killed my furniture. Or it started, that... or it started something new because you went, "Oh my God, this is hideous." There's only a yeah. I either I either have to stop this and do something new, yeah, or only... just take this to its logical ends, which only is a couple God knows people where. that can get away with a lot of color. Like right, Randy Shaw does it, yeah well and gosh i can't even name any of the other ones really it's it it's a tough one it's tough it's hard to do it's and some people you know 
they've mastered it or they feel very comfortable. Yeah. Um, I don't feel super comfortable. So when I use color, it, it's very limited and, um, you know, I think about it. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think that really sort of, you know, you can trace that back to our training as furniture makers because we're really not trained in color. We're trained purely in form and function. Right. And, you know, color is sort of anathema to, you know, it's like, yeah, it's wood. Yeah. You're supposed. It's yeah. all about the beauty of yeah. wood. Don't yeah. don't fuck with the beauty of the wood. It brightens yeah. up when you put oil on it. That's color, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Done. Right. How many coats of walk coat should I put on? Yeah. 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 Or if you know, if you really want to get wild, you put a, something spalted in there. As long as. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, I think there is a there is a you know, again. Ha, if our background was as sculptors or as painters, I think we'd have a, a really different. There'd be a different arc to mm-hmm. who you know how our work has progressed. Not that I mean. I mean, I don't think that's a statement of uh, necessarily a negative statement. It's just in the way the work has progressed. Right. When you come from our background. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you mentioned Randy Scholl. He came from a furniture background as well. Though. Yeah. Yeah, he did. But he, you know, he embraces color. I don't, and, you know. He's, when he, he's pushed the boundaries of shape and everything, too, yeah. and material use. Sure. And, you know, he's, but yeah, his, his colors are just, it's like, how many layers yeah. are in that? 60? <laughs> what? I, I worked for him for a summer. Oh, did you really? So I got to put a lot of layers of acrylic paint on stuff. And I know there's a lot of... He was rubbing through acrylic paint. There's a lot of golden paint on those pieces of plywood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Although you did, there, you have some gilded pieces, which is actually a... That's a really time... That takes a lot of damn patience. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did quite a few uh, gilded pieces. Silver leaf, gold leaf. Um, that I, I learned when I was doing my apprenticeship with David Marks. Because he wow, did a that's lot a, of gilding. that's a tough process. Yeah, that's, yeah. Or to me, it is. You it, probably learned it, and it's it, it's it. You know, once you know how to do it, yeah. You know, it's it's not that bad. That's cool. Yeah, I, I've had plenty of failures. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, you gotta but, make mistakes and learn. Yeah. And <laughs> right. And you've also messed around with a little bronze casting too. It looks like. Yeah, I've been working. I guess past twelve years, maybe more, because I started when I was in New York State. Um, casting pieces in bronze so i would carve them out of wood and um work with uh i work with different foundries now originally i started with one in florida now i've got still work with the one in florida got one in uh, georgia and now another one in oklahoma oh wow okay um so yeah it's it's kind of nice because you know, I'll make my sculpture, and if I think it's a, a piece that really sings, like it hits all the right notes, I'll go ahead and kind of uh, invest more money into it and uh, go through the the lost wax process where, you know, make the rubber mold and all of that stuff. and So that it actually can, yeah. so you can make them in series. Yeah. As and opposed you, to a, a single sort of lost wax process where you right yeah you only get one right exactly and with wood you really only get one when you're talking about sculpture you know it's they're all one of a kind especially Mm -hmm. if you're carving yeah Yeah. Um, but with the the bronze pieces it affords you to do an addition you know beat of eight or whatever you want Um, and the other nice thing is it also opens the door to having outdoor pieces yeah 
um, which is nice. Because wood does wood not last. does not work. <laughs> I mean, you could put it out there. I have a, a wooden sculpture that I made years ago. I think it was, I made it when I taught a class at Aramont mm-hmm. many years ago. Um, and it was made out of white oak, the figurative piece, a mahogany base. And these are all outdoor, you know, materials. Yeah. I charred it, and it's still in my backyard. Wow, that's yep. cool. Well, yeah, yeah it's actually interesting because... Uh, I mean, we talked about sculpture, and, and and it's hard to place indoors, but placing outdoors, there's much more of a market. And, and So yeah. I started messing around with uh, what's called uh, thermally modified poplar. So it's wood that's been cooked in a kiln, so you cook all the sugars out of it, which is what uh, the bugs and termites and, uh, and bacteria eat. Yeah. And it's supposedly good for 50 years in an outdoor environment. And it carves like a dream, and it looks like walnut. Oh, because really? It's, it's pretty interesting stuff, but uh, I've messed around with it a little bit. So th- we weren't going to get technical and into, <laughs> into tooly stuff. But the, well, I'd never even heard of that. Yeah, that's, it's thermally cool. modified poplar. Or sometimes people call it torrified poplar. Uh-huh. It also comes in oak and huh. cherry. Oh, I didn't know they did it in other yeah, woods. Yeah, it's cool. done in other woods. So, so I'm going to back up to the <clears throat> to your casting. Yeah. So do you do the lost wax? Do you do that process here yourself? Or do you ship it off to the, I, the foundry? I, and they? I ship off my original wood one to mm-hmm. the foundry, and they'll make a rubber mold, mm-hmm. and they'll uh, offer the rubber mold, and they put the wax in. and then So the, they do that the, whole process. Yeah, they do that That's whole process. Cool. Wow. But I always... Uh, the one in Georgia, I've actually, because it's kind of close, it's four hours away. Yeah. Um, I'll go down there, and they have a, a, a patineur, I guess you'd say. You're going to have to define that term. I've never heard it. Well, it's somebody who uh, does patinas. Oh, okay. Well, all <clears throat> foundries have a patineur. Oh, mm-hmm. I learned a new word. Yeah. <laughs> patineur. Um, patineur. I'll, and, I'll, I'll use that in sentences now. Yeah. I talk with my patineur. <laughs> So I'll go down and, uh, you know, he'll do the patina. We'll talk to what I want color-wise, this yeah. and that. Uh, but otherwise, I'll always ask from the one in Florida and Oklahoma to – I get them uh, the the casting rough, mm-hmm. and I do all of the chasing, the grinding here at my oh, shop. Wow. And I do my own patina work too. Um, I learned a lot by, you know, visiting the patiner, and I got a book and do a lot of experimentation – and it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the bronze sculpture you have over there. I mean, the the finish is just this gorgeous, silky finish. But boy, that looks like a lot of work. That that's polishing. Yeah. That that's sucks. Po- right. Well, you have yeah. to grind. <laughs> that a, sucks. You have to <laughs> grind. A, if it's a two piece mold, you have to grind all the rough edges off, and then. Yeah. Yeah. Just and it's just you know just like sanding a piece of wood. Yeah. You know? Step Only by grit, step by grit, step. Grit, yeah. And then. And then polishing it and polishing it and polishing right. it. Yeah. So it's a mirror finish. Right. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, yeah, uh, thanks. The I, you know, I don't like to do that very often. Um I think I've done a polished surface um maybe 5 times. Mm-hmm. Uh but usually I, you know, once I get my uh bronze uh, chased, then I'll pull out the torch and start heating and start spraying, you know, liver of sulfur, some cupric nitrate just an arsenal of chemicals um that's the easier route right and that gives you all your different yeah you can get anything greens blues reds that helps to create the patina yeah yeah 
sort of last question, what's next? Where do you see where do you see the work evolving from the uh, from the wall pieces? Or well, I guess that's the beauty of it. I have no clue. Oh, <laughs> I like that. That's a wonderful way to. That's great. I have no clue. It's no. going to go some new wondrous place. I have no idea. Yeah, and it, you know, it'll happen. I just don't know when and and what. It'll. Yeah, you'll yeah. know it when it hits you. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is to embrace it. If I get an idea, just you know, try it out. So, yeah. Well, we're sitting here looking for clues with uh, Joel Yerudi. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, we really appreciate you, and that was a, a wonderful, upbeat note to end it on. So thanks a lot for being on Why Make. Oh, thanks. Why Make. Thank you very much. Yeah.